Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday time together here at the Digital Cathedral. Glad that you're with me. And if this is your first time, I always like to give you a special welcome and thank you for being with us. Hope you find the Digital Cathedral beneficial to your spiritual walk and the journey that you're on. We're all on a, on a good journey. We're all learning things as we go. I want to talk to you this morning about how to raise your focus. Focus is extremely important in the life that you live. And I want to read a verse of scripture, and then I want to start to unwind this for you this morning. And what I want to hit before this teaching is done is three things that try to steal the focus away from us and get us looking at the wrong things. So let me just begin with what we know and then maybe move to what we don't know, what might be revelation. So let's start with a very familiar verse of scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18. How to raise your focus. Are you ready? All right, 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this, while we look not at the things that are seen. Man, that, that right there just throws a wrench in the whole works, doesn't it? Because that's we're so trained to look at everything we see and for that to control and dictate the mood that we have, um, the success we think we have. We focus a lot on what we see. So Paul comes along and he says, don't look at what you see. But he said, look at the things that are not seen. Now here's why. Because it's Things that are seen are temporary. They're temporal. They exist for just a quick time. But the things which are not seen are eternal. <clears throat> so if we want to build a life that is strong, that is consistent, we're going to train ourselves, and it's going to take some discipline. We're going to train ourselves to not look at things that change all the time. Can you understand why your life maybe has been up and down, why you have moods, why you have depressions? not all depression, but most depression, a lot of depression is based on being moved by what we see. Now, there's a reason that we don't look at what we see or give attention to what we see, to all the things that try to get our attention. And men, there's sure a lot of things in life, aren't there, that are vying for our attention daily, whether it's the news, the weather report, <clears throat> friends uh, saying things to us, there's all kinds of things trying to get our attention that try to grab onto our physical sight and the things that we hear with our ears. Now, there's an important reason why Paul was teaching us in that um, 18th verse of the fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians not to look at those things. And I'm going to tell you why. Because whatever you focus on, you empower. Now, let me just say that again. Whatever you focus on, you empower. When you give your attention and you give your an awareness, for example, to an evil report, whatever comes on the news, and you give that thing your focus, you give that your attention, maybe it's a very negative thing that is going on in our world or our society, or you hear a negative circumstance, or you see one that is happening in your life, things are not going maybe the way that you'd hope them to go, and so you really focus on that. Whatever you focus on, you empower. So when you hear the evil report or you see the circumstance that you're really not too wild about seeing come to fruition, what you're actually doing is empowering that. And out of that empowerment, we create fear. We create stress. We create anxiety in our minds. It creates all kinds of things that go on that are not healthy for us. So when you, when you empower what you see, and you're the one that empowers it, it has no power of its own. You empower it. You strengthen it. Whatever you focus on, whatever you give your attention to, 
you're empowering. Now, here's what happens in life. This is what happens in so many lives of people that are Christians. They empower something by their focus, something that uh, is negative, maybe a doctor's report, or I mean, we could go on and on with things. You lose your job, you focus on it, you give it your attention. And so all of a sudden now, you that thing has tremendous power, so much so that you can't sleep at night. So much so that all you do all day long is think about it. You have empowered it to that level. And if you continue to empower it, it'll, it'll control your life. It'll get out of control. You'll live a life that's out of control simply because you have focused and empowered something that you see or that you hear. And when that happens, what do we always do? We, we, we always, as, as Christians, we haven't learned that greater is he that is in us and he that's in the world or the kingdom is within us. We haven't learned those things. We focus on what we see. So now we have to ask a greater power. We've ha we have to ask the sky God that is out there someplace, this great power out there to come defeat this lesser power. And we think that it's had power. It has had no power. You're the one that has empowered it. And so when you empower what is seen, then it requires that you try to find a greater power to neutralize or negate the thing that you have empowered. Now in this, in this fourth, um, in this fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians, verse 18. I meant to read, read it out of the, um, out of the uh, mere translation because Francois does a good job with it. Let me just read this for you out of, the, out of the mere translation before I go on. He says, we're not keeping any score of what seems so obvious to the senses on the surface. It's fleeting, it's irrelevant. It is the unseen eternal realm, listen, within us which has our full attention and captivates our grace, our gaze. So here, here's, we have a choice, right? Both versions, New King James and Amir, draws a distinction between two kingdoms in that 18th verse. There's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom that you see and there's the kingdom that you don't see. There is the natural and there's the spiritual. There's the kingdom of this world and there's the kingdom of God. So at some point, you have to make a, a decision on which kingdom you're going to live out of. To if you're going to live the Christ is us life, you're going to have to make a choice to give your attention to those things that are not seen. To live the Christ is us life, you're going to have to make a choice which kingdom that you're going to focus on. Are you going to focus on the kingdom of, of visibility, those things that you see, those things that you hear? Or are you going to move your focus to what you do not see? Both Francois and, both, and Paul, in their, in their interpretations, or the New King James in its interpretation, tells us that what you see is fleeting, it's temporal, it's passing away, it only, it's only lasts a little while. But the things that you don't see are the eternal things. So, so doesn't it stand to reason that if you want to build a solid life, you want to build it on the, 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 the most concrete, stable things that you can get a hold of? And the scripture says that those are the things that you do not see. Now, let me read a couple more scriptures. Here's what Jesus said about that. Jesus made the decision. Jesus, Jesus the man, had to make a decision which kingdom he was going to live out of. I mean, Jesus experienced what you experience. Uh, he felt what you feel. He was a man with feelings. So he had to make a decision. Was he going to live by what he, what he saw, what he could see? Or was he going to live out of the kingdom that was within him? So he says this. In John chapter 18 and verse 
36. Jesus answered and said, my kingdom is not of this world. Period. Paragraph. Full stop. That's the word of Jesus. Now, if you want to be like Jesus, then I would, I would suggest we begin to take some of this and just integrate it into our lives. At least begin to put the focus. This is how we started. We put the focus where Jesus put it. And Jesus said, verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. <clears throat> if it were of this world, my servants would fight though should I, so that I wouldn't be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom, my kingdom is not from here. Now, that's what Jesus said. Now watch what he prayed for us. John chapter 17. John chapter 17, just one chapter earlier. Let's go to verse 14. Verse 14 to 18. Jesus said, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world. So all automatically, you and I should see that the kingdom that we're involved in is not of this world. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. <clears throat> then he, <clears throat> when he's praying for us, excuse me, when he's praying for us, he says, I've given him the, your word, Father, and also their kingdom is not of this world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. He said, I pray that you'd keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. Then he says in verse 18, as you have sent me into the world, I also send them into the world. Now, every this gets so good. I, I wish I could take this rabbit trail. But however you think the Father sent Jesus into the world, that's exactly the same way that Jesus sends you into the world. We could, we could develop a whole teaching on that. It's worth meditating. It's worth thinking about. How did the Father, did the Father send Jesus into the world ill-equipped? Did he, did he send Jesus into the world without necessary power to function in the world? Did he send Jesus into the world in such a way that he would have to rely on what he could see or what he could hear out of the world? No, he didn't. He sent Jesus fully equipped to live out of the kingdom that was within. So Jesus says very simply, just the same way that the Father sent me into the world, I'm taking you and sending you into the world. He said, I want you to be in the world, but you're not of the world. That's not, that's not the kingdom that you function out of. So we we what we've what we've done we've been we've been groomed to do this all of our life especially in church we're highly developed in looking at, <coughs> excuse me at looking at the unseen world through the lens of the seen we've tried to look at faith through what we see we've tried to see things that are not seen with the eyes that we see with we're looking and trying to understand God and the kingdom through what I'm experiencing. And what I'm experiencing often has nothing to do with the kingdom of God that is going on around about me. For example, in 1 John chapter 4, here's how God sees it. 1 John chapter 4, very simple illustration here. 1 John chapter 4 and verse, uh, verse 11, I think it is. 1 John chapter 4. And verse, verse 14. And we have we have seen and testified. It's verse 14, 1 John 4, 14. Watch this. Here's how the Father sees it. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son into the world to be the Savior of the world. The Father has sent the Son into the world to be the Savior of the world. Now, Obviously, God can look at the world and see 
the mess that we've made of things. But he doesn't see that. He sends Jesus into the world, and here's how the Father sees it. He sees it as the world being saved. Now, we don't look at that. We look at the things that are going on around us. We look at the confusion. We look at the division, the dissension, the strife, the end, everything that's going on in the church world, in the religious circles. And we have been, we've been trained to see saved and unsaved, insiders, outsiders. That's not, and that's because we're trying to see a spiritual kingdom through our natural perception. Are you following me? Father doesn't look at it that way. He sees everything transpiring in the natural that you see, but he sees it as the, as the world being entirely saved through Jesus. Here's what's happening today. Our eyes are opening to pure grace. Our eyes are opening to the finished work of the cross. Our eyes are opening to our identity as divinity. And so we're being prepared to begin this transition in our minds, in our consciousness, in our perception, to move out of this world that we see and begin to look at a world we don't see. We are a transitional generation. I want to emphasize that. I want to nail that down. We're a transitional generation. There has been no generation that I don't, I think I'm safe in saying this, numerically, that has awakened like this generation of people that are attached to the digital cathedral, that are attached to other ministries and teachers that are now beginning to proclaim what the real kingdom is and how we function in it. This is a transitional generation. There have been people in the past. There was a movement called the Manifestations of the Sons of God, the Manifested Sons. There was a latter reign. There have always been some people that put a focus on the kingdom they could not see, but it, it was just such a small little group of people, but they were seeds. They were leaven in the lump. And now the leaven that is within the lump is beginning to have a real profound effect on our culture. It's having a real profound effect on established religion. Religion is in trouble. The organized church is in trouble because it has been so jacked up and so messed up, teaching us to try to see the unseen through our natural eyes and, and, and being moved by how we, how we act, how we behave, the things that are going on around us. But there's a generation that's arising and it's happening all over the world and you're part of it. A transitional generation that are moving out of the kingdom that we've been programmed to that is based on senses, based on sense knowledge, the kingdom of the natural. We're transitioning and we are the forerunners of this. We're transitioning into the kingdom of the unseen that is above the natural. And that is becoming our reality daily. We are, we're shifting. We're making a move. Jesus was the prototype. Jesus lived fully and functioned out of the unseen. He did not live out of the natural kingdom. He knew from the get-go at some point, I'm not sure when it really dawned on Jesus, that his kingdom was not of this world. But there was some point, maybe at his baptism, maybe a little earlier in his life, I'm not sure. But there came a time when Jesus understood fully that his kingdom was not of this world. And there has come a real line of demarcation for you and me to know that our kingdom is not of this world. Jesus lived above the death of Lazarus. He was not moved. He didn't get all distraught. He didn't focus on the death of Lazarus. He didn't focus on the wind and the waves. He didn't focus. He didn't, he didn't give power to sickness. He didn't give power to disease by making it this gargantuan obstacle that would stand in the way of the lives of people. 
he didn't he didn't give focused attention to that. Therefore, it was not empowered in the life of Jesus. So when Jesus died, resurrected, we resurrected with him. We broke the power of the natural, and we began to move. And it's been such a slow transition. It's been two thousand years to bring us to the point we are today. We're moving into the place where we have total access to the same kingdom that Jesus had access to, that is eternal, that is perfect, that supplies our needs. As the, as the needs arise, they are met. We're learning to live from within ourselves. This is the kingdom in which God, in which God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. The, 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 the two are merging. Heaven and earth are merging, and you're the transition. You're the people that are bringing the two together. When Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he's talking about this earth. The kingdom is within you. The earth, that's you. He's praying that his will would be done in this earth, in your life, even as it is in the kingdom that is within. So there's this inward explosion that is going on that is having effect on this earth. And it's, as it has an effect on my earth and your earth and, and, and wave after wave of people's earth, then the culture begins to change and we're seeing that change begin to take place. In that kingdom of heaven that is flooding the earth, you have never been sick. The kingdom that is, is within you is well. It's prosperous. It's doing well. It's doing fine. It's not broke has no needs. And so this kingdom that is within us, and we spent several weeks on how to create, and I'm going to come back more to that as the new, as we get close to the new year and as we move through the new year. I want to get back to some of that because I don't want you to let it go. I dropped the seeds. I did the teaching, but I can't understand it for you. I, you got to get the understanding, but I'm telling you the kingdom that is within us is beginning to have a profound effect on the earth, on the outside of us. Jesus manifested for everybody to see. He manifested the fruit of the, uh, in, 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 in the visible, he manifested the fruit that came out of the dimension of the life that he lived that was of another place, of another dimension, of another kingdom that was the invisible that met every need that Jesus had. And that's what's going on today. That unseen where you can say, it is finished. There's nothing lacking there, even, even as it was with Adam in the garden. Yeah, Adam experienced that to some level. He experienced the garden where everything that he ever needed was there. Jesus came and lived on this earth and demonstrated it. He imparted it to us. He said, when he prayed for us, he said, they're not of the world any more than I am. But he said, the way that I you sent me into the world, Father, I'm sending them, which is well-equipped, fully-powered, able to live from this kingdom that is within us, and we're learning how to do it. Now, because in this kingdom that is within us, God has done everything. Creation is done. It's finished. Everything that you'll ever need is within the kingdom. So much so, I want you to get this. This is going to mess you up. Everything in the kingdom is finished and, and finalized to a point and Father's entered into a rest to the point where he's not answering requests anymore. You can give him all the requests you want. Doesn't mean he, he's gonna all of a sudden, in church we prayed and prayed and prayed for God to answer. He's not into filling requests anymore. 
He's in the business of opening our eyes to what we already possess, to what the kingdom within us has already supplied to us. God's not answering prayer anymore. He's answered all prayers. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and let me read verse 20. For all of the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through, through us. Look what this verse says. All the promises in God in him are yes. Do you, do you, did you ever spend a lot of time standing on the promises? There's even an old song, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promise, waiting for God to, 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 to answer that need, waiting for, I'm just standing on the promise. I'm hoping and praying God will, will answer because I've got the promise. I'm holding firm to the promise. Now, all the promises in him are yes. He's already said amen. So be it. He's, he's not, he's not going to do anything other than what he's already done. Now, he's, now what he's doing is he's opening our eyes. He's awakening us. He's quickening us that we can see what we already fully possess inside. And now the only part of this journey that's lacking and we're getting better at it is pulling from the inside to the outside. Jesus was good at it. Jesus said it's the example. So that's that's what he says there. Then then Peter caught it, and I've, I, I read these verses every once in a while because they're so good. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 says, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue. So um, um, we read it, it, where Paul said, every promise in God, every promise, however many promises you want to find in your Bible or that he makes to you personally, those are good promises too. He make make a promise to you that you, know, you don't find in, in black and white or red and white in the Bible. That's a solid promise as well. Every promise in him is yes and amen. And then he tells us over here that his divine power has given to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Now watch verse four. By which has he has given to us exceeding great and precious promises. He has given to us exceeding great and precious promises. And every one of these exceeding great precious promises he's given to us, he said yes and amen to that through these you may be a partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So through these promises, he says, I have empowered you to live in the kingdom. You're escaping this world that has a downward pull, that has a downward drag, that is full of negativity. You're, you have escaped that world. I've given you the promises. Now let's not make this harder than, than it is. This is very simple. We can make, we can make this this life of following Christ so difficult, so hard. It shouldn't be that. It shouldn't be difficult. He just told us the things that he's given to us are yes and amen. They're already fulfilled. They're already completed. So you don't have to listen. Listen, you don't have to spend your time trying to get him to, to answer your requests. If you're going to meditate, if you're going to spend your time, meditate on what you need that you already have. Learning to develop. Look, our prayer life was frustrating. We prayed and prayed and prayed to God and we didn't get very far. So why not? Why, look, if it didn't work for 2,000 years, what makes you think all of a sudden it's going to start working now? Maybe we should change our strategy. Maybe we should begin to listen to what he's saying to us. Maybe we should begin to look at things in a little bit different light and see if the kingdom that is within us can actually begin to manifest. 
If you live in the unseen, everything is done. The work is finished. It's 100% completed. And there's a, a working that is going on within you 24-7 to make it so. If you'll focus on it, whatever you focus on, you give power to. If you're going to focus on what you see, you're not going to focus on what you don't see. If you begin to focus on what you don't see, which are his promises, which is what he has spoken to you, which is what you see in the invisible. Listen, that's where the power is. Everything that you see came from what you don't see. Isn't that what Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3 is trying to tell us? Everything that was made came from what you don't see. So if that's, if that's the case, then what you don't see has the priority. The point of origination of everything that you see comes from what you don't see. So if we're going to live the crisis us life, we're going to have to come through that awareness. We're going to have to make the transition of what, of what our kingdom really is, of what our life really consists of. Are you going to continue to be led by what you see, or are you willing to be part of this transitional generation that lived like Jesus lived, empowered by what you don't see, by the kingdom that is within? The, 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 the scene has presented itself as a power to you. That's, this is where the difficulty is. This is the snag I'm trying to neutralize this morning. The things that you see has presented itself as a power. It's, it's reared up like Goliath, and we have empowered it. When David went to defeat Goliath, David ran toward Goliath. He did not empower Goliath. The rest of the nation of Israel had empowered Goliath so much that no man would stand against him. In fact, they ran. They stood on the other side of the valley from Goliath. They wanted no part of this guy. They empowered Goliath. David did not empower Goliath. He brought him down. Do you know why? Because his focus was not on Goliath. His focus was on what the father told him to do. His focus was on the rewards that was coming to him. Riches, his family would be free. He'd marry the king's daughter. His focus was on those things. He empowered those things. He did not empower Goliath. How many Goliaths in your life have you empowered? Had no power in themselves. You empowered them. How many have there been? All right, now here's what I want to do. I want to real quick give you three, three things. I want to ask you three questions that will help you to see if you're still functioning on some level in the seen rather than the unseen. I'm going to give you three quick questions, the answer to which all three should be no, a resounding no. But I want to present the questions to you to help you to just to get a, a grip. And I like to do this. I do this in my own personal life. Most of what I teach here is just emanates from where I've been, where I've traveled, and, and I'm going through a lot of this right now. I, I check myself every now and then. I, I, I live out of the kingdom that was within. I see it functioning. But the things that we see in here are so strong that they're always presenting themselves and wanting us to empower them and, and give them strength that they don't have. So let me just ask you three quick questions this morning. Are you, are you ready for this? I hope you answer no to all three. First question is this. This will help you to see if you're still functioning out of what you see or if you've moved over more strongly into what you don't see. First question is this. Do you believe that God has, is, or will ever withhold anything from you? Do you believe God has ever withheld anything from you? 
Or is he right now withholding something from you? Or will he ever withhold something from you? The, the father can't withhold anything from you. I'll tell you right up front. I hope you say no. Because the father cannot withhold anything from you. We read where he said all the promises in him are yes and amen. He can't withhold from you because he's already made the choice to give to you. In fact, Romans chapter 8 and verse 32, listen to this. How shall he not freely with Christ give us all things? If he has given you Christ, let me get, let me get the wording just, just perfect. I gave you the gist. But let me let me let me get let me get the the wording just just right on this because this is really strong. I like the way the King James put this. Romans eight thirty two. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, he was delivered for everybody. Nobody's left out on this. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So if Christ was delivered up for all of us then he has freely with Christ given us all things. That's the decision he's already made. He's made the choice. You don't have to beg and plead and try to get him to give you something. He can't withhold from you. I, I've dealt with so many people in my life that feel like God's held out on them, that God has shortchanged them, that God either has or is, or maybe in the future, we're afraid that God's gonna hold something back from us, something good from us. He can't do it, it's impossible. Because he's already made the decision, he's already made the choice to say, here, I've already given to you. And if he's given to you Christ, it says in that 32nd verse, if he delivered his son up for us all, and if he's willing to give him, us his son, if he's willing to give us the cherry on top of the Sunday, then it's nothing to give you the Sunday. Jesus is the cherry on top. If he gives us his most prized possession, gave him to all, gave him to everyone, then surely it's not hard for us to understand that everything that comes along with that is actually lesser than his son. That comes along with it. If I, if I give you a million dollars, of course I've given you $10 bills because the $10 bills are part of the million dollars that I've given to you. The all things that he's given to us is part of the son that he delivered up for us all. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say to you is that whatever he has done for others, he has done for you. In Matthew chapter five and verse 45, Matthew chapter five and verse 45, I want you to see this. Matthew chapter five and verse 45 that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun to shine on the evil and on the good. Here's, a, here's what I'm trying to get across to you. Makes, his, makes the sun to shine on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So when God looks, God looks at people, he's not saying, well, this one is good enough to get the rain. This is the one is good enough to get the sun. But this one over here, he doesn't deserve it. He, he's not lived up to expectations. He's been a disappointment to me. Therefore, he doesn't get the rain and he doesn't get the sun. In the kingdom, in the unseen, what he does for one person, man, this is heavy, Revy. What he does for one person, he has fully, completely, entirely done for every human that is on the planet. There is no, no distinction. 
he can't say it any plainer than he did in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45. He lets the sun shine on the just, the unjust, the evil, the good, the bad, the indifferent. Whatever we judge by appearance, he has not judged that way. He, he hasn't let it go that way. We could say the just was Jesus and the rest of us were the unjust. So whatever sun he shined on Jesus, if you can hear me metaphorically, whatever rain he rained on Jesus, we get the Jesus sun and we get the Jesus rain, right? So here's what I'm saying. Raise your focus. Raise your focus this morning. What is it you're actually focusing on in your life? What are you looking at? Are you looking at what the Father has provided for you through the Son? Are you focused on his blessing, on his healing, on his freedom for all? Not just a select few people. You don't have to qualify this. Paul said that the Father has qualified us for the full inheritance that every son has. Just by his nature, just by his fatherhood, he has freely given to us everything, all of us. You're looking at me this morning on the Digital Cathedral, uh, dealing with a guy this week that fell back into drug addiction. He had been off drugs while, fell back. Listen, that did not disqualify him from diddly squat. God still looks at him and has fully provided for him everything that he's provided for the most saintly saint that walks on the planet today. It makes, it makes no difference to God. He sends the sun and the rain on the just and the unjust, what we would determine good and evil, right, wrong, left, right, whatever. It makes absolutely no difference. Peter was a man who had a hard time with this. Peter was a Jew and he really felt the Jews were special. The Jews are not special people. God loves, God loves Gentiles as much as he loves Jews. So Paul or Peter had a had a happening in his life. He's up, he's up on, on the rooftop praying, right? And all of a, all of a sudden, I'll just give you the backdrop of, of the verse I want to read. All of a sudden he sees this vision, and the sheet comes down with all kinds of unclean animals on it. And the voice comes and, and tells him, God tells him. Select and eat. You got some. You got some. You got some good deep fried shrimp on there, Peter. I want you to take some fried shrimp. There's a see that pork chop over that pork chop that will really take care of your hunger. Peter was hungry. Peter says, "I can't eat those shrimp. I can't eat eat those pork chops." And so God deals with him. And finally, in Acts chapter ten and verse thirty four, Peter comes to this conclusion. Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. Man, if ever there was a word for this morning that I want for you, I don't want you to ever feel on the outside. God shows no partiality to anybody. We need to agree that he's freely given to all of us. Let, let, the, let the giver be what he is, and let's raise our focus to see what he has given us. Let's become aware of it. Get yourself unified in the spirit with him on this. All right, question number two. Question number one was this. Do you believe God has, is, or will ever withhold any good thing from you? Absolutely not. He can't because he's already made the decision to give. Question number two. Do you believe that God could give you what you need, but right now he's chosen not to give it to you? Answer is absolutely not. No. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, flesh, flesh desires like, like the Bentley convertible I saw this week, I, I swear that Bentley convertible had my name on it right there. I could see my name, Don Keithley. I'm not talking about the Bentley convertible. I'm talking about everything that pertains to life and godliness. 
Do you, do you believe that God could give you what you need? You need your rent payment. Do you believe God could give you the rent? But all of a sudden, he's just holding out on you for whatever reason. Answer is absolutely no. Let me, let me read it again from Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I try, to, I try to have enough scripture on this because I know that we're still a lot of Bibleites. And we, when we get the scripture for it, then it looks like, okay, then, then I can believe it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Here's what Jesus says. He says, therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life. He's not going to hold out on you. What you eat, what you drink, nor what your body should put on it is life not more than food and the body more than clothing. He said, look at the, look at the birds of the air or, or they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns. And yet your father in heaven takes good care of them and feeds them. Aren't you more important than the birds of the air? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So don't worry about clothing. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and how and they don't spin. They don't toil. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed as good as this lily of the field. Then he goes on in verse 30. And I, I want to I want to read down through verse 32. He says, now if God so clothes the grass as the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek, for your Father in heaven knows you need all these things. For your Father in heaven knows that you need all these things. In fact, he knows you need the things even before it becomes an awareness to you that you need those things. Now, I've heard people, you know, is, is, could God give me what I need, but he's holding out on me. And I've heard this for a long time, that God's delays are not God's denials. <laughs> I've heard that all my life. God's delay. See, that, this is how we excuse uh, God not giving us what we need. Well, his, his delays are not his denials. That feeds the idea. Here's what it does. It feeds this religious idea that God has a, a shifting sand agenda based on you. Based on, your, based on what you do or what you don't do. How good you are or how bad you are. Your obedience or your disobedience. Everything that God will ever provide, listen, everything that God will ever provide is already stored in the kingdom. Everything that God will ever provide for you is stored in the kingdom and the kingdom is within you. So everything that God will ever provide for you is within you. You don't have to press into the things of God. You don't have to travail and try to birth something of God. He's already done it. You don't need a breakthrough. He's already broken through. Do you remember over in John chapter 4, verse 34 to 38? Jesus takes him out and he shows him the fields. And he said, I want you guys to look out at these fields. He said, I want you to notice that they are already white unto harvest. I need to make a quick adjustment here. He said, they're already white unto harvest. And he said, he said, I want you to pray for labors that they can go into the harvest and they need, they need to be able to go ahead and um, I'll tell you what I was doing. It's been cold in Houston. I was sitting on my heating pad. It got too hot. He said, I want you to go into the, I want you to pray for, for um, harvesters that can go into the fields. He said, don't, don't say it needs to come down the road or we need to do it sometime in the future. He's not talking about evangelism. He's not talking evangelism there. 
He's talking about things that have already been provided. The field's are already white. Everything's already been provided. So here's, here's what I'm after this morning. I'm after you raising your perception. I'm after, after you raising your awareness, your conscious. I want you to open your eyes and see that the fields are already white, that everything that we need has already been fully provided for us. Do you know why God gets all the glory in this? It's because he's done all the heavy lifting. He's already, he's done all, already done all the labor and that you and I just receive the benefits. That's the way it works out. All right, question number three. Question number three. Do you think, do you think you can do certain things to influence God to change? Absolutely not. Do you think you can do certain things? Pray more, fast more, read more, be more obedient. Do you think that you can do certain things that will make God change his mind? No, no. If you still have this outer court mentality that if I do, then God will respond. And God won't respond until I do. If I could just get enough people to pray, if I could just push the right buttons and flip the right switches. See, what you're going to do when you do that, when you do that, you spend all of your time in awareness of the problem that you perceive as evil or you pull on religious tradition. See, when you, when you think that if you do certain things that it's going to make God so happy, He's going to be so pleased with you that he'll move. He'll, he'll provide what you need. You know what that's going to make you do? That's not going to make you look at the unseen. That's going to enable you to look at what you see to try to improve the world that you see around you. Your, what you have control over, what you have power over. How about this? How about if we just enter into his rest? Hebrews chapter four says, there is a rest that remains for the people of God. And it goes on to say, let us therefore labor to enter that rest. The hardest labor you will ever do is rest. See, those three questions that I just asked you, they're all based on appearances. They're all based on the outward. They're based on observation. But when you and I can enter into rest, and we begin to meditate on the oneness that we have with the Father. When we come into rest and we begin to put our focus on those things that he's already given to us, then all of a sudden our perception changes. The focus changes. What we empower changes. Now, if you answered yes to any of those three questions, then perhaps I need to say a word to you about what supply really is. See, because you, you're thinking, you're still thinking, if you answered yes to any of those questions, you're still thinking that the supply you need in life is going to come from an external circumstance. It's going to come from something outside of you, and that's not the case. A yes, if you said yes to any of those questions, it indicates you don't, you don't have now what you need, that you don't, that you're lacking something. And the whole, the whole message of the kingdom is that you lack nothing that you already are in full possession. So if you're saying, yes, God, God will change if I do something, or I believe that God has could, if he would just act, give me what I need, or I'm afraid that there have been times in my life that God has held good things back from me. See, all, that is, all of that is getting to the place where you're saying, I have a need. I, 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 he hasn't met my needs, I'm still lacking. 
You don't lack for any good thing. How many scriptures have we read just this morning? And if you're with me at the Digital Cathedral, you know we read week after week after week how God, God has been so faithful to meet everything that we need. It's us learning how to tap it. I need to say a word to you about supply. And there's probably no better place to look at supply than John chapter 15. John chapter 15. This, is, this has been one of those passages that really shook me free in a lot of things. John chapter 15, let, let me read eight verses real quick. Now, don't, don't click me off. Don't leave me. I, I need you to get this. Jesus said, I am the vine and my father is the, is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he proves that it might bear more fruit. You are already clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Nothing more you're going to do. You're already clean. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Without me, you can do nothing. That's the message. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. He's not talking about sending you to hell. He's talking about burning up those parts that are not productive and getting them to where they will be productive. Verse 7, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. All right, now what's going on here? Let me talk to you about supply. And we're going to tie it up to just this little parable. The food that you ate and the money that you spent this week are not your supply. Right? They are the form that supply takes. They are the fruit of supply. Supply is invisible. You, you, you cannot see the work of the vine to the branch. It goes on, it's in an invisible dimension. You cannot see the vine as it feeds the branch. The problem with most of us is we don't think we have supply until it becomes visible. That's where we're focusing. We're focused on the checkbook that says zero. We're not understanding where supply comes from. We're looking at the grapes. We're looking at the results. We're looking at what's visible. Listen to me. Supply is invisible. In John 15, the grapevine parable, you can eat the grapes. You can make the juice. But that's not the supply. That's the fruit of the supply. The supply is at work, but the supply is not the grapes. The supply comes from the vine. The supply is invisible as it flows from the vine to the branch. The supply is always at work within the vine to get to the branch. It's preparing the branch 24-7, getting it ready for the harvest of grapes. What is going on within you is preparing 24-7. There are things going on you're not aware of, you can't see. This kingdom within you, in you is it, it's working 24-7 to begin to move to you. So I talk to you about thoughts, imagination, uh, the work of your heart, the words of your mouth, the creative force. Things are going on within you 24-7 to get the grapes of your life out on the vine. Notice it doesn't say the fruit of, of, the, of the vine. It says the fruit of the branches doesn't say, right, the, the, where the fruit grow is out on the branch. Supply, actually, supply begins in the root, and it comes up through the vine, and it eventually works its way out to the branch, and in due season, then the branch bears the fruit. Supply within your life, 
is at work within you, even though you may not realize it. And this is a hard point to get people to see because until we see it, until we have something visible, we don't believe that it has been supplied. It has been supplied. It's working to supply. The form of the Holy Spirit leading you, directing you, speaking to you, guiding to you, prompting you, and you responding to that, that's how the flow works from within you to the branch so that you then have the visibility that you're looking for. But the visibility is not the supply. The supply has been working within you. See, we follow, we follow the promptings, the leadings, we follow. And the manifestation, the tangible results begin to appear in our life. So when you rest in him, when you rest in him and you're being still in his presence, you're meditating on his omnipotence. You're, you're, you're understanding, you're thinking about your one spirit with the Lord. See, that's what waters the roots. That's what fertilizes and prepares the ground for a good harvest. It's, it's your coming into that oneness, into that unity. Everything that pertains to life and godliness is in the invisible supply. And we spend a lot of time here at the Digital Cathedral working on moving that invisible supply into the visible. Our awareness, our perception, our consciousness creates a flow from the vine to the branch. So the, if, if I were to put a, a title on the teaching this morning, I guess I would probably uh, call it How to Raise Your Focus because that's what I've been talking about all this morning, is getting your focus right. Do you know what worry comes from? Worry is a great hindrance to production. Worry wants to take your focus. You know, you know what causes worry? Worry comes from not knowing the end result. We don't know how it's gonna end up. When we worry, but listen, when we worry, we have just moved from the invisible not seen to the seen visible. And we're taking thought, right? We're taking thought based on what we see. The truth is that you live and move and you have your very being in the vine who knows the end from the beginning. We should not worry. In the, in, in the fifth chapter that we, we read, he said, don't take thought for, for the essentials. Don't take thought for the basics. That's working in your life. That supply is working. He has supplied all you need to get you safely and successfully to the end that he has envisioned from the beginning. He will make the supply. And what you and I are learning how to do is to capture it and to bring it forth. All we have to do like a branch is to be aware and focus on the invisible supply of his leading, of his direction, of his voice, and respond to it, and then begin to bear the tangible fruit of that invisible supply. This is not difficult. But the main thing is it's getting your focus rearranged. And I bring this up every so often because I know that I need to, it's easy to fall back into what we see. It's easy to fall back into what we feel or what we hear. It's easy to fall into that. And unless you have a, unless you make a conscious effort by resting in him and thinking about uh, the invisible, thinking about your unity, your oneness, it's, it's easy to get, lose your focus off the unseen and come back to the seen. So this morning we talked about changing our reality by changing our focus. 
And I want you to remember as I close this morning that whatever you focus on this coming week, you're going to empower it. So if you don't want to empower it, don't give it focus. Put your focus where it needs to be. Put your focus on things you don't see. Put your focus on the desires of your heart. Put your focus on the thoughts that the, that the mind of Christ has given to you. Put your focus on your imagination as it develops that thought and begins to, to put form to it. Put your focus on the heart as it grows it in abundance. Put your focus on the words that come from your mouth that will create the desired result. Whatever you focus on, you're going to empower. So we're talking about changing our reality by making sure that the focus is correct. So how, do, how does the renewed mind look? How does it transition from the seen to the unseen? Paul said it very simply. The just shall walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? All right, my time is up this morning. Hope you got something from this. Go back and, and, and re review those three questions I asked you because they really are insights into whether you're still trusting some of what you see or whether you've moved over into that kingdom that you so desire to live in that is based on the unseen. All right, God bless you. See you Wednesday night at The Secret Place. We'll take up some more of this. Make sure you hit the subscribe and the like and leave a good comment after you're done with this. God bless you. See you next Sunday morning at the Digital Cathedral.